Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Tonight, I'm going to give you four thoughts. As Chris mentioned last week, and as we talked about in the couples uh, community group that my wife and I just did this last five months or so, we have to understand that, when, and this is not just for marriage, this is really all, all relationships in life. This is for um, friends uh, with friends, this is for um, kids with their siblings, this is for coworkers. But understanding it from a perspective of marriage, when you get married, you're bringing one sinner into a house with another sinner. And guess what sinners do? Sinners sin. And guess what you are if you go to work and you have coworkers, you have, you're a sinner that works with a sinner. And you at times struggle with pride and with stubbornness and with self-will and with selfishness and with wanting your own way. And the Bible says that all men seek their own. Why did Jesus tell us to love our neighbor? What was the metric he said you should try to love your neighbor as? Love thy neighbor as? Why would he say that? Because by nature, we all love ourselves the most. So he said, if I want people to love other people with the biggest earthly love you can think of, here's what I'm going to tell them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you'll do that, you're going to love everybody with the biggest earthly love you can. I've used the illustration often. If you don't believe that you love yourself more than anyone else, every time you take a group photo, who's the first person you look at to see how the eyes are? Are my eyes open? How's my smile? And it doesn't matter how the rest of the group looks, if you look good, that's the one going on Instagram. And the one with your eyes closed is the one that's getting deleted. We go right to ourselves. And so, understanding um, in, in our lives that when you put two sinners together in any arena, whether it's in home, at school, at church, at work, you are going to have conflict and contention and challenges. Can I say that one more time? If you put two sinners together, you are going to have conflict and contention and challenges. It's not, it doesn't have to be all of the time, we're going to get there in a minute, but it's impossible and inescapable when you put two sinners together that you're not going to have conflict and contention and challenges. It's impossible to be an involved contributing member in a family and not have at times conflict, contention, and challenges. It's impossible to be a, an involved contributing member in a church for any length of time and not have those things. It's impossible to be an involved, contributing member at work and not run into, at times, conflict and contention and challenges. And so when those things come, what are some ways, some things that we can do to fight fairly, if you will, if we're going to have that contention? Look at 1 Corinthians. I want you to see an interesting verse, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 27. Speaking of marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 27. The Bible says, art thou bound unto a wife? Isn't that interesting verbiage? <laughs> Are you bound to a wife? Like, I'm, I'm in bondage. What does he say? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. 
Paul is teaching here, whatever state in life you find yourself in, be content. What is, again, going back to our human nature? Our human nature is to desire whatever we don't have. When we're single, many times it's, I can't wait to get married. And by the way, it's not wrong. The Bible says, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth the favor of the Lord. It's not a wrong thing if God's put that desire in your heart to want to be married. What is wrong is to think that that relationship is somehow going to meet all of the needs that we should be having met in Christ. And if I get that, then my life will be fulfilled. There is no human on earth that is going to be able to fully fulfill your life. Uh, there's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus. I'm not, I'm not a Savior to my wife. She's not a Savior to me. Now, I, I believe God brought us together, and our lives are meant to be together. But be careful. Those that are not married, sometimes, man, it, it's the ultimate, I wish I could get married. And those that are married, sometimes if they're not careful, I wish I wasn't married. He says here, if you're married, don't, don't look, look, grass is green on the other side. And if you're not married, don't look and say, I've got to do that. Just be content with where God has you. Our human nature is whatever we don't have is what we want. If you were born with really curly hair, what do people with really curly hair often do? They buy straighteners. And they go and get straightening things done. And people with really flat hair that doesn't get curled, what do they do? They'll often go pay to get it a perm or get a curling iron or to get the wave iron or whatever it might be. Whatever we don't have, we're often drawn to and wish we had the other. Be careful of that. So he says that in verse 27. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, he says this, but, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Well, that's good to know. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Here it is. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. Here's what he says. If you get married, you're going to have trouble. I preached a message one time entitled, Marriage, There Will Be Trouble, from this verse. He says it's impossible to bring two sinners into a close, involved relationship in any arena and not at times have conflict, challenge, and contention. So I'm going to give you four thoughts. When those times of conflict come at church, at home, at work, at school, in your relationships, in your family, in your marriage, in your extended family, online, when those things come, those natural contentions, four thoughts on how to fight fairly. Number one, I want to say this, fight rarely. How to fight fairly, fight rarely. I'm afraid that many of us have bought into the lie that we've seen in sitcoms for decades, in children's programming, that as families we're supposed to constantly be at odds with each other. And husbands and wives, are, the husband's constantly supposed to be hiding behind the wife and sneaking and getting things, getting away with things that she doesn't see, and, and, and he's, he's maybe the dumb guy that she's, she's smarter than, and we have, you, you look at, and, and even just look at American entertainment programming, how it's progressed in our view of marriage, our view of family. Look back 50, 60, 70 years ago. What was the family programming? You had the Waltons, and, and Leave it to Beaver, and Little House on the Prairie, and Father Knows Best. How that go over today? Today it's down with the patriarchy. Father knows best. Do you think that would fly? Father, father today, father knows nothing. 
And, and even our programming has programmed us in 2023 American society to believe teenagers ought to be sullen and sunken in away from their parents and, and, and have a bad spirit, and siblings ought to constantly be at odds with each other and fighting and yelling. Just go turn on Disney Plus or the Disney Channel and turn on any, any children's programming that has a family that's represented and see what kinds of stereotypes and definitions are being pushed on what it's supposed to look like to be a part of a family. It doesn't look like what the Bible says it is. And, and, and here's what I want to say. We ought not, fighting ought not be the rule. When I say fighting, contention, conflict, ought not be the rule in our relationships. They ought to be the exception. What does the Bible say? Again, we have kind of the expectation that we're constantly going to be going at it, bickering, this and that, and, and that's kind of glorified in humor in a lot of sitcoms, and the husband and wife are at odds, and they're turning the kids against each other, and they're making fun of the other one to the other one, and some of them are funny, and we laugh at them, but be careful what it's not teaching us about what a family ought to look like, and how the relationships ought to be. What does the Bible say? Should we be fighting on a regular basis? Here's what the Bible says, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. If everywhere you go is conflict, something's not right. What does the life of the Spirit-filled believer look like? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Does that sound like constant contention? Love, joy, peace. If your kids are constantly at odds with one another, something's not right. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Now, does that mean that your kids are never going to be at odds with each other? No. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. There will be some problems. There will be some things to work through. But what I want to challenge you with is don't just get used to and believe the lie that marriage is supposed to be one fight after another with a few good days sprinkled in between. When I buy her a new ring or I take him on a new trip, then we get, we have one or two good days with a bunch of contention the rest of the time. Contention should not define the Christian family. Contention should not define the church. The church of believers centered around the gospel of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It ought to be a place where there is great unity with people from all different backgrounds, different preferences, different traditions, different upbringings, different college degrees, different socioeconomic situations, all together, not constantly looking for what we can fight about, but looking for what we can rejoice together in and work together in and rally together to advance the cause of the gospel. We have to be striving together, the Bible says, in one spirit for the sake of the gospel, fervent in spirit, in unity. If, if a church is constantly characterized, constantly characterized by contention, you know what it's an indicator of? A lot of ungodly, spiritually immature believers or unbelievers. What did Paul say in the New Testament? Some of us, you're fighting. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Man, I, I want it this way. Well, I learned from him. He said, here's what he said. Are you not yet carnal? Where's the love of God that's supposed to be in your hearts that's supposed to change you and make you love your brother as yourself? That doesn't mean there isn't a time in churches where, where difficulties won't have to be dealt with or there won't be a time where somebody gets their feathers ruffled and we have to walk through that. Again, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but it ought to be the exception, not the rule. 
It ought not be a church that's 40 years old, 35 of those years are spent bickering and fighting. If it is, that is not the Spirit of God. He brings love and joy and peace. Parents, don't put up with it in your kids, with your teenagers, with your younger kids. Don't allow a spirit or a culture of constant conflict and irritation and unkindness to go unchecked. We were playing wiffle ball with our kids in the front yard yesterday, and I had to correct one, and I said, be careful the way you're speaking to your sibling. It's always short. Be careful. It, there's, there's always, and I've had to talk to my older ones at times where they're constantly trying to find what's, what they said, someone said something, no, that's not right, and we always have to prove we're right and correct them. And they get that from their mom, and I tell them, stop that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They get it from their dad, 100%. But, but, hey, relax. Why are we fighting over that? They'll fight, literally, my two teen boys have wrestled in parking lots about who's going to sit in the front seat and shotgun. And sometimes I let it go just because it's fun to watch teen boys wrestle in a parking lot. Other times I don't, just depends on how I'm feeling, I guess. But they'll be like, I got shotgun, no I don't, and they'll slam each other into the door and they'll throw them on the ground. And I'd say, hey guys, see the size of that seat? If you go one foot back, it's the exact same seat right behind it. You're getting home four feet later. Like it's really not something to fight about. We fight over stupid stuff, don't we? Why? Because all of us seek our own. What does the Bible say in honor? preferring one another. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Don't allow a spirit or culture, and by the way, not just don't allow it, don't model a spirit of constant bickerings, constant picking, constant conflict, constant irritation, constant unkindness. Will there be times of conflict and contention? Yes, but they should be rare. And here's what I'll say, if they're not rare in your life, something needs to change. If you find yourself in conflict when you jump on Facebook, and conflict when you get to work, and conflict when you get home, and conflict when you get to church, there might be a common denominator in all of that conflict. If your last church you had to leave because you got mad at a bunch of people and they got mad at you, and your last job you had to leave because you got mad at your boss, and the job before that, and the church before that, and, if, and again, I'm not saying conflict doesn't happen, but if that's a pattern in your life, that is not what God wants. How do we, is contention going to come? Sure. But what does God want? He wants us to fight rarely. How do we fight fairly? Number one, fight rarely. But when the times when the contention does come, number two, fight timely fight timely. When contention comes, when conflict arises, we have two options. Either let it go, or let's get ready to rumble. One of those two. Here's what we don't want, let it simmer. Let it, let it marinate for days and weeks and months and years. Do you know what that turns into? That turns into bitterness. When you let an unchecked conflict, an unchecked contention, an unchecked offense, an unchecked hurt, when you don't either let it go or let's get ready to rumble, let's deal with it right now, when you don't do that, here's what happens. It simmers until it turns rotten, and that root of bitterness, it springs up defiling many. It destroys relationships. You know what every bitter person has in common, there is some conflict, contention, or offense that they did not deal with. And so if you have that, you have two choices. Either I'm going to deal with it with God and let it go. God, 
that keep my heart right. I forgive that person, even if they didn't ask me to forgive them. I forgive my husband, my wife. I'm not going to fight about this one. I'm going to choose my battles. I'm not going to do that. But God, you've got to give me the grace. I'm, I'm releasing it. I'm letting it go. You've got to get it right with God. Or you need to get it right with the one that has hurt you. I was talking to somebody um, just yesterday on the phone in another state, a friend of mine, that there's some real contention happening in their church that he's a part of. And there's some real contention. And here's what I said. I said, I said, you do not need to go on a campaign to defend yourself. What you need to do is where the conflict arises and where you know it's conflict between you and a brother, you need to, like Matthew 18, go to that brother in love and in unity and charity and say, let's have the hard conversation and let's talk about what you're struggling with. Let's talk about what you're saying about me over here. Let's deal with it, Matthew 18. You don't need to blast it on Facebook, but you need to, if if, if it's not being dealt with, it needs to be dealt with. So you need to fight timely about that. Often, the best option is to forbear. The Bible says that biblical charity, it's, it, it, it bears long, it, it, it's, it's long-suffering. That means it puts up with a lot, it lets a lot of stuff go, it lets a lot of water roll off the duck's back. But here's, again, we fool ourselves. Sometimes, because we don't deal with it, we think we're forbearing and we're long-suffering. No, some of you have a tendency, your, your uh, and um, uh, model or practice of conflict resolution is put it inside, put it inside, push it down, 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 push it down until you can't push it down anymore, and then what happens? It explodes. That's not long-suffering. That's unwise not dealing with things, thinking it's going to get better, when in reality it only gets worse. And it's a fake unity, it's a fake harmony for a long period of time, and then we blow holes in relationships. And this is where sometimes working in church work or in school work, um, in, in school ministry, you can get an email, and we, we deal with one little thing with a student or with a child or with a church member, and we say this, and then all of a sudden we get an email back, or maybe something happens they didn't like in a classroom, and it's a long list of things they never mentioned. Well, back in September, they gave my kid a bad grade and it wasn't fair. And in October, I sent an email and nobody answered me. And in November, and they've got this long list of things they never dealt with, and one little catalyst exploded and blew a hole in the relationship. They would have been much better off in September when the teacher didn't do what they wanted if they couldn't let it go to deal with it, to confront it, to talk about it like mature adults. Rather than letting it build up, whether it's in marriage, at work, whatever it might be, any relationship. This is what creates bitterness, resentment, and anger. What did Paul say to the church at Ephesus in chapter number 4, verses 26 and 27? Be ye angry and sin not. Here's what he says. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I don't have time to break that whole verse down in depth, but isn't it interesting? So. There are times where we can get angry, but be careful that anger that doesn't turn into sinful anger that then destroys things. And here's how he said one of the reasons, one of the ways to do that, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What does that mean? You should be able to go to bed every single night with not one person on your list where there's animosity toward them. Not your husband, not your wife, not your boss. Not your mother-in-law, not your father-in-law, not your mom, not your dad, not your aunt, 
not your uncle, not your adult son or daughter who has gone away that is not pleasing to you. There should not be one person you go to bed. Now, you can go to bed burdened about somebody. You can go to bed prayerful about somebody that maybe has broken your heart, but you should not go to bed bitter or angry or resentful toward anybody. Here's what the next phrase says, neither give place to the devil. When we go to bed with that animosity, what happens? The devil has an entrance in to create and to cause that thing to be way bigger than it was before we went to bed. And you do that the next night and the next night and the next night, and before you know it, it's a root of bitterness that has taken hold in your heart and in your life. And that root of bitterness, well, you don't know what that pastor did to me. No, I don't. But I do know that Jesus said, that, that Paul said about Jesus, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Well, he didn't ask me for forgiveness. It's, it's not about him asking you. It's about your heart being right toward others. And if you can't give that forgiveness, there's someone in this room that a pastor hurt them deeply, and I know the story, and, and publicly went against them. And in, in spiritual maturity, that, that person said, he was no longer in that church, but he said, I'd like to get a meeting. I want to share my heart. What you've done has hurt me, but I don't want it to, and I want to talk through that. I think we've misunderstood each other. Let's walk through it. And can I be honest with you? I don't think that the resolution of that meeting was what that person had hoped, but it was godly. It was spiritually mature, and I believe it helped give victory so that that person didn't move forward with deep bitterness. That can happen with our kids. It can happen kids towards parents. It can happen uh, kids towards teachers. It can happen to an employee, toward a boss, to a pastor, toward people, a people toward pastor. Fight timely. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Here's what happens when you deal with your conflict and your contention in a timely manner. Two benefits happen. Number one. It doesn't have the chance to grow bigger in your mind than it is. It doesn't have the chance. You dealt with it. If it's bothering you that much and you can't get over it, you can't give it to God, you can't forgive it, you can't say, God, I've hurt you more than that person hurt me, I'm done. If you can't get it right this way, get it right this way. And when you do that, it doesn't have time to grow. I'm going to deal with this, my husband, wife, the way that that happened, I've got to deal with, honey, we need to talk. I'm struggling right now. I'm feeling this way, and I've been keeping, but the longer we keep it in, the more it festers, and the more it marinates. What happens with, with a wound? What do you have to do with a wound? You've got to open it up and clean it out, right? If not, infection comes, and it gets in there, and gangrene, and before you know it, a little wound that could have been cleaned the first day causes somebody to have a, a, a limb amputated. That's happened. Causes somebody to die from gangrene. A wound that if had it been treated in a timely manner would have caused no long-lasting repercussions, can cost somebody a limb or a great pain or even their life. The same is true in our relationships. You, you go to any church for any length of time, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have disagreements. Somebody's going to hurt you intentionally or unintentionally, and you're going to hurt somebody. You stay married for any length of time, you're going to hurt someone intentionally or unintentionally, and someone's going to hurt you. You work anywhere for any length of time, you're going to be passed over, you're going to be mistreated, somebody's not going to neglect you, something's not going to go the way you had hoped it would go. It's true in every human relationship, so what should you do Fight to fight fairly? Fight rarely and fight timely. Don't let it build. What happens when we, when we fight timely, it doesn't get the chance to grow bigger in our minds. And number two, it doesn't get to build up on top of other things. 
you keep a short account of grievances. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, you have a really good memory of grievances? You get in a fight with husband or wife? Well, yeah, but you remember. No, I don't. Well, that was just last week. Okay, I remember that. But then you remember. No, I don't. That was last year. No, okay, maybe I kind of. That was last decade, 1953. You remember. And we keep this long list. Why? Because we never truly dealt with it. We never confronted it biblically. We never extended forgiveness. We never showed grace. We never showed mercy. We never showed love. And what happens when we don't deal with it timely is it starts to stack. And here's the funny thing. We were talking about this in recent days with a family we were working with that was struggling through some things. And, and, and one of our staff members said to me, I've dealt with that family for hours. And here's the thing. I don't even think it was any situation. It was a bunch of little things that they didn't deal with, and it eventually it just exploded, and they made a rash decision that was hurtful to their family. Fight timely. Number three. Number three, fight kindly. Turn with me. Ah, you don't have to turn there. I think we have, I think we have it for the screens. Fight kindly. Always keep the relationship in mind in the midst of battle. If you're like me, I like to win in anything, in a game, in sports, in an argument, in a debate. I like to be right. Anybody else out there like me, you like to win? Okay, JJ's back there, raised his hand. Marquise, a few of us. We like to win, don't we, JJ? I like to win. And here's the problem. When I get into a debate, what, or I get into a conflict with a coworker, with my wife, with one of my kids, with a, with, with a church member, if I'm not careful, my pride and stubbornness makes that person the enemy and makes victory the goal. Because if victory is the goal, there has to be an opponent, right? You're not going to win a game if, you're not, if there's no opponent. If we're all on the same team, nobody's going to win the fight. If, if, we're, if we're in a boxing ring and, and we're both on the same team, there's nobody going to win a fight. And, and you have to have an opponent, and my pride and stubbornness makes the person the enemy. It makes the person the thing that, that I'm attacking. What we should be attacking is the reason for our conflict, not the relationship that's in conflict. Can I say that again? When we are working through something, we are attacking the reason for the conflict, not the relationship that's in conflict. I try to remind myself of this. I taught, uh, maybe it was earlier last year, I can't remember, I taught a message, preached a message entitled, Diffusing the Conflicts of Life from Genesis 13. I mentioned this right at the end of Chris's message last week. But Genesis 13, I remind myself of this verse often when I'm dealing with, with touchy situations. Genesis 13, verse number 8, I think we have that on the screens there. Genesis 13, 8, do we have that verse or did I not get that? There it is. And Abram said unto Lot, look now, so what's happening is there's conflict. Abram's cattle uh, um, uh, herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen are fighting over places, and there's money involved, there is, there is resources involved, there's business success involved, there's a lot of things that people fight over. People fight over really dumb stuff, and they divide relationships over really dumb stuff, but money is right at the heart of a lot of it. Relationships have been, families have been destroyed over fights over money. What happened? Abram comes to Lot, so they hear their business, their employees are having huge conflict. And Abram, the older, the one with more leverage, the one with more power, the one with more authority, the one that could have demanded Lot into submission, Abram humbles himself, and he comes and he says, let there be no strife, I pray thee, I'm begging you. 
What did Abram start with? He didn't start and say, hey, I heard we got a fight, we got something to deal with. His opening line was, I want resolution, not victory. I want, and here's what he says, and let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. I don't want us to have conflict. So he lets him know right away, it's not me against you, it's me and you against the conflict. It's me and you trying to find unity because I love you. And here's what he says between thy, my herdman and thy herdman. Here it is. Would you read the last four words aloud with me? Ready? Begin. For we be, for we be what? Here is, here is what Abraham says. Abraham says, and I, I, I talked about in that message, seek resolution, not victory. And then let them know the relationship is far more important to you than the reason for conflict. We be brethren. What if the next time you had conflict in any relationship in your life, you came, honey, I want to talk. My heart's not right. It really hurt me how you did this. I feel like we mistreated this, whatever. I want to talk about this, but before we do, I want you to know I really am on your side, and my goal is that we find resolution because my love for you is more important than anything we're fighting about. If you started that conflict resolution with that, how do you think the rest of that conversation is going to go? It's going to go much better than if you come in, let me give you my long list of why I'm right and you're wrong. And you need to, well, what if the next time you had conflict at work or at church, pastor with your coworkers, whoever it might be, staff members with each other, I just want you to know before we start. There is, there is some conflict that it's really hurting. It's, I don't like it. We need to deal with it. But I want to let you know up front, my goal here is not necessarily that you go my way and do it my way. My goal is that we get back together on the same page because my involvement in this church, my, my job here at this place of business, my love for you as my extended family is more important than this dumb thing we're fighting about. Did I mention this last week? I love Judge Judy. Did I, no, I mentioned that in the men's mentorship meeting. I love Judge Judy. Is that okay to say? I love, anybody, you love Judge Judy, Ryan? Anybody else love Judge Judy in here? If you don't love Judge Judy, go home and watch some Judge Judy. You'll love her. I try to watch, try to watch like one a day. It's good for my soul. And my kids and my wife hate it because they've gotten tired of her. But I can't, I can't grow tired of her. I could watch her every night, three or four times a night. It's amazing. But you know one of the saddest things to me about Judge Judy? Did I watch one last night? I think two nights ago. Did I get, no, I, did, I don't think I did. Emily says yes. Did I? I did watch one. Okay, I got one in last night. You know one of the saddest things about Judge Judy is that almost every episode, it's a mother walking in to sue her daughter. It's a son walking in to sue his dad. And then often they'll say, I want them out at the end of the interviews. I want them out of my life. And what they're fighting over is a down payment on a car, a $1,200 loan. A $900, we're, we're fighting uh, my, my longtime family friend, and they'll say, I've known him since he was five, we don't talk anymore, and they're fighting over $400. What happened? What happens in those? They're willing to blow up a relationship over a stupid thing that's not going to matter in the big scheme of life. But how many marriages have done that? How many churches have been split like that? How many people have blown holes in corporations or in their jobs because of that? Fight kindly. 
James chapter 1 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Notice this, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Fight kindly. Slow down. Look at the big picture. Get the bigger perspective. Are you really willing to cut off that friend of years? To not talk to your spouse of decades for days or weeks? To talk badly about them? To have this animosity over that? Is it really worth it? Are you willing to leave that church over that? Is it really worth it? Fight kindly. Let there be no strife for we be brethren. Here's the reality in most relationships in these situations, especially in marriage or in those family, we want the same thing. What do we want? We want peace and harmony and joy and happiness. We want the same thing, but we, we fight against each other. The goal in conflict is not to prove your point. The goal is to get on the same page and move forward in peace and unity. My last thought, number four. Fight skillfully. Would you turn with me to Titus chapter number two? Titus is it toward the end of the Bible. The T books, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy. Titus, Titus chapter number two. Let's turn there. We'll look at this and we'll be done. Fight skillfully. What does every great boxer have? A few things. Boxing gloves is probably one of them. A mouthpiece. But what does every great boxer have, every great fighter, if you're into MMA or jiu-jitsu, what does every great fighter have? They have a trainer. They have a coach. They have somebody who understands the art of fighting, who's been there in the corner of many, many more fights, that's learned the science of fighting, that understands the right way to throw a punch, that understands the right way to defend yourself. And even the greatest boxers in the world, what do they have? They have trainers. They have coaches. They have people that are teaching them how to fight the right way. You don't get to a certain place in, in any fighting sport without, and then say, I'm done. I don't need a trainer anymore. I don't need a coach anymore. They all have those. Someone who teaches them the right way to fight. So what do I mean when I say fight skillfully? Here's what I mean. Don't fight alone, couple. Don't fight alone. Look at Titus chapter number 2, verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Here it is, verse number 2. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Older men, you need to have a good example, and you should be temperate, good self-control, grave, that is serious, sober, you're serious-minded, you're sound in the faith, in charity, you're loving, in patience. Look at verse 3. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not constantly gossiping about people, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Why? Verse number four, would you read that aloud? Ready? Begin. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Older women, why do you need to live godly lives with a godly testimony? One of the reasons, according to the Bible, is so that you can teach younger women that are younger than you getting started in marriage how to have harmony and peace and love and joy in their home relationships in their marriage and in their family. That's what he says. Sober-minded, love their own husbands, uh, love their children. Verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, be pure in their, their thoughts and their actions. Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There needs to be a beautiful picture of love in these marriages. Now notice what it says in verse 6. 
Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So the older men do the same for younger men. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say to you. What is he saying? All of us need some older godly people in our lives to walk us through the challenges of life. We need some older godly people. Here's what happens. We found Prince Charming. We found our princess, our Disney princess, and we're going to get married and we're going to live happily ever after. And happily ever after lasts a day or a week or a month. And then we look and say, you're a sinner. You weren't a sinner when we were dating. Now you're a really big sinner. What happened? We must have married the wrong person. Something must be wrong with us. No, you know what's wrong with you? You're a sinner, and you're a sinner. That's what's wrong with you. And such shall have trouble in the flesh. And so you know what you need to do? You need to find some oldly, older, godly, sober-minded, grave, holy saints of God that have lived for God for a lifetime. And guess what they've been through? They've been the young couple that looked across the bed and said, I married a sinner. What have I done? And they figured out with God's help how to walk through that and find the great joy that God has in that relationship and find God to use that. And you know what? They've been there. And the Bible says you need a trainer. You need a counselor. You need a coach. Don't we try to live this Christian life all on our own so often? Well, let's all get dressed up. Let's look like we've got it all together. Let's sit in church. Be good kids. Be quiet. All right. Hey, brother. Hey, good to see you. Hey, hey, sister. Good to see you. All right. Yeah. Oh, God is good, isn't he? And then we get in the car and we fight all the way home. And we all act like we've got it all together. And here's the reality. Nobody has it all together. Some of us just have a little more experience putting it back together. And you know what the Bible says? Those of you that are struggling, you need to seek some counsel. Now, this does not mean you need to go around spreading all of your, all of your family drama all over Facebook and all over the church. This, I, I, be careful. Be careful about who you share your struggles with. You ought to have some wisdom there. You ought not be in a group of ladies that is not in that setting where that's the right place to do it, bad-mouthing your husband and putting him down, or vice versa, a group of men out golfing and you're talking bad about the old lady. Be careful. You ought to honor and love and show respect. It doesn't mean you got in a fight and you, you get together at a breakfast and you're like, yeah, let me tell you, my, my husband, he's the biggest jerk of them all. And may I also say this, my father-in-law used to say this about children as they get married. He would say, parents, when your kids get married, he would say they ought not have uh, nine 911 connected to your bedroom phone. Now, nobody has a bedroom phone anymore, but back then they did. And what was he trying to say? Be careful, husbands and wives, even about when. I'm not saying you should never bring your parents in to help in a marital conflict, but be careful about bringing that in because here's what will happen. If you, mom, lady, tell mom how bad, how bad Johnny is to you or George or whatever, Ryan, whatever his name is, and you tell about this big conflict and the way he mistreated you and what went on, here's what's going to happen. Probably you're going to work through it, you're going to get over it, you're going to realize you overreacted, and you're going to make up and everything's going to be okay. And here's the problem, Mama Bear isn't going to forget what you told her that Ryan did. 
And the same thing is true of Mama Bear on Ryan's side. If Ryan goes and tells Mama Bear all about, my wife did this, and she doesn't do that, and she's this, and she's that, and she's this. Well, sometimes, have you ever heard the saying, there's three sides to every story? Your side, my side, and the truth? Well, we give mom our side, we deal with the reality, we get through it, and if we're not careful, mom or dad now is completely poisoned against that relationship. I don't have time to dwell on that, but just be careful. But here's what I—and I'm not saying you can never talk to your parents, but be wise about those things every time there's conflict, not running your spouse down to your friends or to your sister or your brother or your parents. But, but here's what I am saying. Reach out to older, more experienced married couples. Ask for help. Humble yourself and find victory. Godly counsel is a wonderful gift. Let other Christian couples walk with you, help you, encourage you. You're a single young adult. Uh, let godly counselors speak into your life. Be discreet, chaste, pure, holy. Let them help guide you and counsel you as you're making these big decisions in life. Help them walk with you. Those, those that have been unmarried for decades or uh, you, you've been a Christian for decades, take others under your wing. Don't just sit here saying, well, I'm 60 or I'm 70 or I'm 80 or whatever I am. Uh, my time is done. God's done with me. Oh, no. If you're still alive, you have much to offer the church, your experience and your wisdom and the, the, the battles you fought and the victories you've won. Share those with others. Take a young, you see a mom that looks like she's struggling, invite her out to coffee and just say, I just want you to know, I don't know if you're struggling or not, but I remember being your age, I was struggling a whole lot. And if I could ever help you with anything, if I could pray with you about anything, I just want you to know that I'm here for you and invest and love. And yes, they have to ask for it. But us younger ones, I like that, I group myself in the younger ones, us younger ones, we should reach out for wisdom. You're struggling in child rearing? Don't do it on your own. You're struggling in marriage? Don't do it on your own. Reach out to some godly folks that have walked the path before you and fight skillfully. What do you need? You need a trainer. You need a coach. Fight rarely. What does that take? It takes forgiveness and grace. Fight timely. What does that take? It takes courage. Because you know what's easier in the short term? Act like it's not there. Do I have any act like it's not there folks by nature? Let's be honest. That's you. I act like it's not. Okay, nobody wants to admit that. You're acting like it's not there. I like that. That's some of you. That's how you grew up. Your family just acted like it wasn't there, and it'll just magically go away. Let me ask you a question. Did it ever magically go away? Sure didn't. Fight timely, deal with it before it grows. That takes courage. It's harder in the short term, but it's way better in the long term. Fight kindly, that takes wisdom, to know what to say and when and how to say it. Let, let there be no strife between me and thee, for we be brethren. We're family. I don't want to fight about this. Let's, let's find resolution, not victory. And then lastly, fight skillfully, that takes humility. That's you humbling yourself and telling somebody else, I don't have it all figured out, and I need help figuring it out. Can you help me? Can we get coffee? Can we talk? I'm really struggling here. That's what one of the reasons God gave us the family of God, was to bear one another's burdens, to walk through our struggles together. And there's, there's a plethora of godly wisdom sitting in this room. Are you ever seeking advice and counsel from those that have walked a path before you? Aged women, teach the younger. Older men, likewise, teach the younger. Younger men, seek some instruction, seek some wisdom, seek some counsel. Younger women, do the same. If 
you stay involved in any human relationship for any length of time, talk to me. Is there going to be conflict and contention, yes or no? If you have a brother for any length of time, are you ever going to fight with him? And all of the, the sisters said, yes. If you have a sister or a brother, are you ever going to fight with him? And all the brothers said, sure you are. And if you're married or you're in a church or you work the same job for any length of time, there's going to be conflict. But it ought to be rare. As much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. If you're constantly in conflict, something's wrong in here. You're not being led of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Fight rarely. Fight timely. Don't let it grow. Deal with it. And once you've dealt with all the underlying issues, a little one pops up, it's much easier to pull one little weed than a whole field of overgrown weeds. You might have a field of overgrown weeds in that relationship. Go dig it out, and then when little ones pop up, fight timely. Deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Fight kindly. Fight kindly. We be brethren. Let there be no strife between us. I'm not going to let that animosity grow anymore. That offense, I've had people come tell me, I want to ask for your forgiveness. I've had a bad spirit toward you for weeks or months or years. I had somebody reach out on a direct message from like 15, 20 years ago on social media and apologize. And I said, I really appreciate you saying that. I, 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 I respect you for humbling yourself and coming and saying that. I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea we had a problem. You know who that problem bothered for 15 years? Didn't bother me. I didn't know we had a problem. It bothered that person. Fight timely. Fight kindly and fight skillfully. You don't have to do this thing on your own. Find some godly Christians to walk with you in your journey. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.